Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, May 12th. We begin with our weekly chat with Sandeep Lally, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Sandeep brings us the latest on the preparation of city businesses ahead of the provincial Stage 1 relaunch. Next, in a Morning News exclusive, we speak with Clement Lanthier, President and CEO of the Calgary Zoo, who breaks the news that the zoo's two pandas will be returning to China much earlier than scheduled due to bamboo shipping issues caused by the pandemic. Then we get answers to many of the most common COVID-19 questions being asked by Canadians. We're joined by Global News Senior Correspondent Jeff Semple. While it's certainly not business as usual, the Calgary Women's Shelter is still very much operating during the coronavirus crisis. We talk with the shelter's executive director on the resources available to women in need. And finally, there's an app for that. We hear about a Calgary connection to a new app created to help seniors stay connected during this time of social distancing. 8-11 on the morning news. This morning we're checking the pulse of the community with Sandeep Lali, president and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. Good morning, Sandeep. Good morning. Of course, we're going to be focusing on stage one of the reopening as laid out by the province, but more so the city impact. Now, Sandeep, I would think I am not a business owner, but to me, there still seems to be a lot of questions as far as, you know, uh, what opening will look like. And uh, to some extent, uh, if they're still able to open this Thursday, are you hearing that from businesses? We are definitely hearing, um, you know, a little bit of caution Actually, a lot of caution and some optimism, the fact that there's a date to open, but it is largely around how do I do it? Um, What specifically do I need to do in order to regain that consumer confidence so that traffic actually comes in? And, you know, the province announced the Alberta Business Connect website yesterday, and that goes a long way to help providing some of that clarity. So specific questions that we were getting were, you know, for personal services, I don't know how does physical distancing work, lack of clarity on uh, personal protective equipment for office workers, tourism operators, retailers, and all of that um, is addressed in this website now that got launched yesterday, and it's sectorally set up and also helps you plan operations. And I think it's a good addition to, you know, the toolkit that we had launched around the relaunch of the economy and relaunching your business to talk about, you know, your employee, your workplace, your customer. And this goes further than that to say, here's what customers can expect, but here's what personal protective equipment could look like. That's the one that's really um, holding businesses back now is access to that personal protective equipment. And and I mean, you know, that's a great start with that site. So it, it allows the province to speak to businesses, but we're still hearing there seems to be lots of confusion as to what it will look like, what it means, how do we do it? And, and it doesn't seem like that message is, is clear. Is that because we're in such uncharted territory here? Uh, we are in uncharted territory, but also um, businesses are not going to open unless they're ready. And that's what we're hearing. We've we've heard from many businesses that said, you know what, I'm not ready to go on Friday, so I'm not going to open on Friday. They're, they're, they're very cautious, and it is definitely public health and safety first for, for the business owner. So once they have their PPE figured out or they do smaller openings, shorter hours, we've heard, the other part of it is to start um, start small and advertise and talk about through marketing of the measures they're taking. So once the owner gets comfortable and the staff gets com- comfortable, that's how they'll be able to reach the customer. And that's why it's going to be a slow opening. 
the start small. I guess that would be the not only the trepidation from the uh, you know owners of these businesses saying, you know, I don't want to bring in 50 staff if I only need uh, 20, but also the expectations because uh, some of their customers, I would think, might be a little gun shy to to go into these uh, establishments. We've heard a lot of um, initial outreach from specifically things like hair salons or um, restaurants around the fact that, you know, they've done some initial outreach and people are like, you know, I'm not ready yet. And then the business owner's like, well, you know, maybe I'm not ready. Mm -hmm. You know, so they are having conversation. Uh, There will be some that'll open. I think the the help around the patio season and all that that got approved uh, yesterday is going to help by people going, okay, I'm great I'm on the patio, but how do the bathrooms work? You know, it's really specific questions that we are now thinking through to say, am I ready to consume? And that's why the other part about the business owners is like the site got put up yesterday. They'll dissect it through, but it's going to take time to put these measures into place. And then the business owner's like, well, how much is this going to cost? Mm-hmm. And will I have my personal protective equipment in time? And some of it's on back order. We've heard from, especially from um, like professional service companies, like for example, hair salons or chiropractors or others, It's they're not quite there yet. And Sandeep, that PPE, whose, responsibil- whose responsibility is that? Does it come from the province to the businesses and then the businesses to their employees? Are the businesses supposed to reach out to, to procure that? How does it work? Yeah, so some of them have been given guidance already around where to get their personal protective equipment, and they are purchasing it themselves for their employees. And I know the province is um, going to follow up today to say, you know, here's you know, potentially some places where it can be procured or here's in these areas we are going to provide it. So we're going to get a bit more clarity on that today. But so far up to today, the business owners have been going and trying to procure the personal protective equipment. Sandeep, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you very much. Sandeep Lolly, President and CEO of the Calgary Chamber. 909, and it's difficult news, but for the Calgary Zoo, the health and welfare of their animals comes first. Joining us with some news that'll be likely heartbreaking for Calgarians is the zoo's President and CEO, Clement Lantier. Good morning, Clement. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. And unfortunately, the pandemic and the fallout from it is resulting in the loss of a pair of our favorite zoo animals. Oh, yes. It's been uh, very, very difficult in the last uh, couple of weeks for the zoo, and uh, we made the decision that uh, we don't have much choice than uh, sending back the panda back home in China because we face a lot, a lot of challenge moving bamboo uh, to Calgary. Let's talk about the challenge because I imagine the zoo worked very hard to keep the pandas here. This was not a decision taken lightly. Oh, yes. You know, when we when we started exhibiting the uh, the panda, the bamboo was uh, coming directly from China, and there was a direct connection to YYC, so that was easy. And then um, for uh, for business reason, they redeployed that plane somewhere else, and uh, we needed to uh, send to get the bamboo from Toronto because now the bamboo was flying from Beijing to Toronto and then Toronto to Calgary. And after a while, the uh, the airline decreased the uh, the scheduling of uh, flights from four times a week to one time per week. So that was not uh, even sufficient to to assure that we will have a fresh source of bamboo because we needed to uh, uh, 
to get the bamboo twice a week. So once a week was not sufficient. And then on top of this, they couldn't uh, guarantee the, the space in the cargo jet. So we, we look at other options, including, you know, trucking from the States. But for our first attempt was not very successful because the Panda, guess what? They didn't like that bamboo. <laughs> and then we started to source bamboo from another place in the States. And, uh, you know, WestJet accepted to, to fly the, the, uh, the bamboo from California to Calgary. But guess what? Uh, all the airlines stopped flying to the United States. So we needed to truck the bamboo. But the trucking company made a huge mistake. They, they delivered the bamboo in Vancouver. And we couldn't uh, turn uh, the... Uh, uh, get the bamboo fast enough so when it arrived to calgary it was spoiled and was too dry that was rejected by the panda so we tried a second company to to uh truck the bamboo to calgary and again it was delivered in vancouver so we use a courier to fly bamboo directly from california to um to calgary and uh, it was stuck in the in the warehouse for few days we couldn't get access so we truck again bamboo from the west coast and the first shipment from that new source was rejected by the panda for half of the load was rejected the second half was consumed so it's every week every 10 days the team have been uh, able to demonstrate agility creativity they have to think on their foot on their feet but it's it's too much of a challenge i cannot we cannot keep uh, the uh, panda in Calgary because it's too risky. Uh, it's not like, you know, the, the penguin that we stock more fish, frozen fish. It's not like the uh, the tigers that we stock more frozen meat uh, when the pandemic started. We cannot stock the, uh, the bamboo more than for a few days. And, uh, you know, it's been a very, very difficult decision, but we are working now with the Canadian government and the Chinese government to expedite the permit process to send them back to China. I mean, it's sad news, but it's ultimately dangerous to their lives if they don't get the fresh bamboo. So how long do you think it will be, Clement, before they leave Calgary? That I don't know. It, it probably will take uh, many, many days, hopefully not more than a couple of weeks. Uh, I know that from experience that moving endangered species, there's a lot of paperwork. So we have initiated the permit process uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we need we need the cooperation and the understanding of the Canadian and Chinese government to expedite the permit application revision. It's not like, uh, you know, strangers going back to China. They came from China. What we need is to re-export permit and... Uh, we need to move them where bamboo is uh, is abundant and secure. Now, of course, this is going to be, uh, you know, one of these cases where the zoo will, and again, we'll get to the reopening in a minute, will be reopening just, uh, you know, without the pandas as we move into post-pandemic. Oh, there's uh, so many species. There's so many good things to, to do and to see at the zoo. Uh, you know, I, I know that people will miss the panda, but uh, we just got those new uh, grizzly bear cubs Recently, we have, uh, you know, uh, river otter pups that will be very, very active the whole summer. Uh, we have a breeding recommendation for our gorilla. So there, there's always something happening at the zoo. But we have to um, 
you know, live up to our commitment to provide the best care possible to every species at the zoo and keeping pandas too risky for their uh, welfare now. Comment, if we do get the zoo opened up pretty quickly heading into these next couple of weeks, will there be a chance to see the pandas before they leave or do you think that that's not likely? That's not likely uh, unless we have a, a commitment or a permission from the Chinese because of, there's some element in the contract, the original contract, when we, uh, if we have to terminate the agreement, we have to keep the animals off display. Mm-hmm. So we're going to work on this uh, condition, but um, this, is, this is technicality. I, I think our main concern is the welfare of the animals and uh, securing bamboo on a regular basis twice a week and has to be fresh. That's the commitment of my team. Okay, let's talk about that uh, potential reopening. And the survey, you uh, reached out to Calgarians and asked the zoo uh, uh, patrons what they'd like to see to feel safe to come back to the zoo. Oh, yes. And uh, so we, uh, we've we been working in the last many days on a uh, reopening plan. So there's a, a lot a lot of uh, information that we gather from other zoos, from other uh, museum from other outdoor activities and from the survey so uh, we have submitted the uh, a plan to Alberta Health to see uh, if uh, we can uh, make it stronger and how we we can meet the expectations uh, obviously we want to uh, you know protect the health of our staff the health of our visitors and uh, volunteers we need to protect the health of our collection also so that we know that there's some species including the large cats that might be susceptible that are susceptible to uh, to covid so there's a, many many layers of of uh, of uh, protection that we need to establish so we're working on this and hopefully the uh, we will be able to address all of those concerns and uh, reopen but you know even if we reopen is it going to be the same kind of uh, calgary zoo no the experience will be different there will be only outdoor activities to start there will be no playground accessibility there'll be a one-way track going all around you'll have to buy your ticket in advance so uh, there'll be time ticketing, so we will be able to manage the flow of the crowd coming to the gate. We'll have all the uh, all the restroom open to make sure that we'll have signage to encourage people to wash their hands. They, we will have hand sanitizer. We will uh, try to encourage people to come with a face mask. So th- there's many, many points that we're trying to address, uh, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll be able to reopen soon. But uh, mm-hmm. today, it's more like uh, we we have to be uh, very, very professional and send the panda back to China based on this animal welfare concern. Thank you for sharing the information with us. We'll be waiting for the zoo gates to open once again, but sadly, we'll be missing the pandas. Thank you very much, Clement. Yeah. Have a nice day. You too. That's Clement Lanthe, who is the president and CEO of the Calgary Zoo. 619 on the morning news. Uh, we are now getting some of your questions answered when it comes to COVID-19 by senior correspondent with Global News, Jeff Semple. He's got the answers for us. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, good morning. Great to be with you. Uh, Good to have you. Let's get some of these questions. And and this is something that's come up, and I've seen it on social media a bit. COVID toes. I didn't know COVID toes were a thing. Can you elaborate and, and tell us what they are? 
Yeah, I hadn't heard about this one either until someone uh, wrote into our global news inbox to ask about it. Uh, it sounds like a sort of a weird joke, COVID toes, but uh, this is a real deal and is now one of the symptoms that health experts are keeping their eyes peeled for. Uh, it is a symptom, possibly, albeit a rare one, where we are seeing cases where people develop painful, small red or purple bumps on their toes or the tops of their feet. Uh, I've also seen them on the tops or tips of your fingers. Uh, and so, you know, it's, we're basically looking at the potential here of uh, tiny blockages in the vessels um, that we think that COVID-19 causes in some people that have increased the tendency for blood clots, for example. Uh, so yes, this can be potentially a symptom, uh, but it's, you know, health experts stressing though that it is not a common symptom, that the main ones you still want to look out for are the ones we've heard so many times now, a fever, a dry cough, and shortness of breath. Truly a strange virus. Another question, Jeff, was uh, about physical distancing. So if we are being good at physical distancing, how are people still getting all these new cases? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because we continue to see the numbers every day and yet most of us are physical distancing like we never have before. Uh, worth remembering that, you know, many of the cases, most of them continue to be in long-term care homes. Uh, a study out of Ryerson University in Toronto the other day found that more than 80% of the deaths in Canada have affected people in long-term care homes and it's a similar story in the United States. Uh, but not only long-term care homes, but our own homes are a major driver of this. So household transmission, meaning that some Someone in a member of the family goes out in the community, they get sick, they bring it home, and everyone else in the house tends to get sick. Uh, it's a reminder of just how contagious this thing is. And of course, you know, the question is where is that one member of the family picking it up in the community? We don't know. We don't have, you know, concrete numbers on that yet in terms of, you know, this many people at a grocery store, this many people out on the street. Uh, but, you know, we do know that this thing is spread through respiratory droplets that are, tend to be spread when people cough and sneeze. Obviously, you know, most people these days especially aren't coughing and sneezing in the direction of other people. We're being very careful, but, you know, you can cough and sneeze on a surface. We know from studies that this virus can live up to two to three days on some surfaces, such as stainless steel and plastic. And we've also seen evidence that this virus can spread just through normal, close conversation. So if you have a long conversation in particular, over 10 minutes with someone in close contact, particularly in a poorly ventilated room, the virus can spread that way too. When you said 10 minute conversation, that kind of, uh, you know, spills into the next question. Can extended exposure to COVID-19 influence the degree to which an infected person subsequently suffers from the virus? Or does the body chemistry react the same regardless of the degree of exposure? Yeah, so an interesting question. In other words, you know, the longer the exposure, the worse the symptoms. Mm. Uh, we don't know that for sure yet uh, with coronavirus, with COVID-19. But uh, experts point to other coronaviruses, such as SARS and MERS, where the so-called viral load or infectious dose uh, did make a difference. So if you were exposed to a lot of this virus, uh, you tended to have a worse time with it. Your symptoms would be worse. Uh, we've seen that even anecdotally playing out with healthcare workers who are, of course, tend to be, have a much higher rate of exposure than the rest of us who then get very sick from this. So we don't know, I don't think for sure yet from the research that we've seen and the health experts we've spoken to, whether that's the case with COVID-19, but it certainly wouldn't be a surprise given what we've seen from similar viruses in the past. So many questions. Thanks for answering some of them for us, Jeff. Thanks, guys. That's Jeff Semple, Senior Correspondent for Global News. 
6.42 now, and many Canadian pediatricians are shying away from prescribing medical cannabis for young patients, believing it can harm the developing brain. There's little research to guide them at this point, but physicians say they're getting increasing requests for cannabis from parents. We're joined this morning by Michelle Ward, academic pediatrician and journalist at the University of Ottawa. Hi, Michelle. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. So just curious to start off with, are there any guidelines for the prescribing of medicinal cannabis to young people? We really don't have guidelines in Canada, and that's actually one of the problems. But that's not to say that people aren't working on it. We know that many kids are actually using cannabis for health reasons, and there's lots of research going on. But right now, we don't actually have approval for medical cannabis specifically for children. And we're a little bit behind the eight ball as a health community for developing the guidelines as how best to use it. You say guidelines. Uh, What we've heard about cannabis when it comes to kids is uh, maybe an impact on their developing brain. So does that uh, uh, differ when it comes to different types of uh, cannabis when it comes to uh, the medicinal uh, portion for the children? Absolutely. And that is a big concern. And it's really the concern about moving ahead with this without having really good research to understand what the impact is on kids. Uh, it's really different for kids than it is for adults. Adults can, can choose to use um, lots of different kinds of medications. And uh, kids don't have the same kind of choices. And also we know that Um, medications and other things that happen to kids when they're young can really last a lifetime. So we have to be really careful and that's why studies are going on right now to try and determine is there, are there populations of kids for whom medical cannabis actually makes sense, is a good medicine, but who is that? What are the conditions it's for? What's the dosing and how do we monitor that? We don't have that information yet for most things. And Michelle, how far out do you think we are on learning any of that information and having some sort of guideline to start with? Well, there are some good studies already, uh, very specifically around certain types of seizures. And so for, for kids that have those kinds of seizures, it is relatively well accepted for uh, medical cannabis to be used. Right now in Canada, there are some uh, studies moving forward and moving forward quickly around things like what's the right dose and how do we monitor that? Um, And uh, so I think Canada actually is quite a leader in this area. And over the next, um, you know, couple of years, we should have more information. This summer, actually, we're expecting some guidance, at least from the Canadian Pediatric Society, about how pediatricians can approach things in the meantime. You mentioned the seizures. Beyond uh, the seizures, what other ailments are our parents uh, requesting the the cannabis for uh, when it comes to their kids? Well, the things that medical cannabis has been used for mostly up until this point are seizures, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. um, in children with cancer, particularly for pain and nausea and anxiety in that group. It's also being used in palliative care. But increasingly, we're seeing parents ask about it for things like sleep, um, chronic headaches, and even things like autism and ADHD. Do doctors seem hesitant to go this route because they're just so used to prescription medication, do you think? For sure. And I would say pediatricians are a pretty conservative lot, and there's a good reason for that. We, uh, you know, abide by the principle of first do no harm. And when we don't have information, uh, it's very difficult to know what the benefits and risks are, 
especially to a brain that's still developing. Um, so I think that uh, we are, as a group, pediatricians are quite cautious about this, but we also recognize that parents are asking about it. And in fact, many children are already getting it. And so we can't turn a blind eye. We need to look at this as a serious issue and we need to get the information to be able to make good recommendations and also because parents want reliable information too. We appreciate your information and your time this morning, Michelle. Thanks for having me. That is Michelle Ward, academic pediatrician and journalist, University of Ottawa. Seven ten now. It's a time of physical distancing. Connections, though, more important than ever. And for this very reason, Calgary's women's shelter has remained an essential service for our community. And sadly, they've been used too often during this pandemic. We're joined this morning by the CEO and executive director at the Calgary Women's Shelter, Kim Roos. Hi, Kim. Hi there. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell us, uh, you know, how, how busy, unfortunately, have you been during this pandemic? Are the numbers up significantly here in Calgary? It's been really interesting because at first, uh, when the pandemic first began, the numbers in the shelter actually dropped. And we think that's a combination of people being uh, worried about congregate living, uh, being afraid of the pandemic, but then also having difficulty being able to leave their homes to actually make a call to get some help. Uh, so we've adapted our crisis lines. Everything has gone digital. And um, in the last few weeks, we've seen those numbers swing uh, quite a bit in shelter, up and down as people are able to come in. But what's interesting is the complexity and sort of the level of danger that people are facing by the time they come in is a lot higher, mm. um, as well as our crisis line has now in the last week doubled uh, in its use. You folks are used to dealing with, uh, you know, challenging situations to begin with. This adds that added dimension, as you mentioned, of, uh, you know, people maybe having a hard time reaching out. Uh, what has your staff done to change things as far as their perspective? Is there a different uh, way you're intaking uh, your clients? Yeah, so we've made a lot of changes in response to the pandemic, of course. So we're following all the Alberta Health Services guidelines. But more importantly, um, we're being quite assertive in our outreach, making sure that our numbers are available, but also making sure that people can reach us through chat and text and email. And so we've seen a considerable uptake in those methods of reaching out to us. And we believe that's because, you know, it's harder to make a call when you're isolated with someone who's abusive. Um, and it's easier to slip away and send a text or a chat or an email and, um, and reach out digitally to us. And Kim, I, I know you can't give away, obviously, any sensitive information, but are you hearing from your clients at the Women's Shelter that these are cases where, you know, the the pandemic and people who have lost their jobs, say, have exacerbated the, the problem, or are these new cases that are coming forward? You know, it's a combination of both, certainly. Um, I think the pandemic, uh, you know, is is definitely impacting families differently than other states of emergency that we've experienced as a city and as a province. Because, you know, we're requiring people to stay in their homes. They're isolated with people where there might be relationship problems. And, you know, they've lost their work. They've lost travel. They've lost their ability to get out of the house and be able to connect with other people and have that bit of a respite. And so it, the pandemic definitely is, uh, is one of an added element to uh, increasing the complexity that our clients are facing. How, how about uh, capacity at this point? Are you guys close to capacity? Do you still have room? Uh, we still have room. We're managing it pretty well. We're also working with hotels to make sure that we're keeping everybody safe and able to handle any kind of influx. 
And as I said, the shelter, like it's been really interesting because usually we're very full. And right now we've been able to move people through a little more quickly and we've been able to sort of balance the, the need quite well. And so there is room right now. Uh, changes daily, of course, but we are managing that pretty well, surprisingly, during the pandemic. Are, are women coming in with kids more often or is that sort of, you know, a common thing that you see usually anyway? Uh, we see that anyway, and so that's sort of that's remaining stable. We're seeing a lot of younger kids under six right now, a few school age kids. So we're having to work with that to make sure they can maintain their schooling online. Um, but right now, it seems to be a lot of zero to six right now. What about the demographic? Are you seeing the, the same type of demo when it comes to the women in need, or has that changed because of the pandemic? Uh, the demographics have remained stable. The one thing that has changed is. Um, so we use a, a score, a scale that when people come in, we measure the complexity that they're facing or the lethality. It's called the danger assessment score. And so that measures the likelihood that someone would be murdered. And so that score was already alarmingly high last year, um, generally across our population. But during the pandemic, that has again jumped. And so that's something we're watching very carefully and we're very concerned about. So if there are women who are listening to you speaking, Kim, what's your message to, to someone who might be obviously in further jeopardy because they are stuck at home off in often cases like this with their abuser? What, what do you say to them? Um, I think find ways uh, to reach out for help. Uh, help is still there. Everything, other agencies are also operating as well. So people have moved digitally. There's ways to connect. And even if you're just concerned and, you know, you're, you're unsure, please reach out and ask for help or, or reach out to your colleagues, your friends, or find some way to connect with people to get the help that you need. And the best way to reach out, Kim, before we let you go, uh, what would those channels be? Because I say you mentioned that you're uh, opening to all channels when it comes to this yes. pandemic. Yes. And so the main phone number is 403-734-SAFE. And then you can also look on our website, calgarywomenshelter.com, and all of the avenues are there. So our chat, okay. chat number is there, text, email, everything. Good stuff. Thank you very much for your time. We appreciate right. it, Kim. Thanks very much. Okay. Bye. That is Kim Roos, CEO and Executive Director at Calgary uh, Calgary's Women's Shelter. And again, calgarywomensshelter.com. Uh, again, they're going to be answering. They're on top of this, Sue, because I think that uh, particularly if you're in a dangerous situation, you don't necessarily have time to open the computer and go through every piece of information. Mm-hmm. You've got to grab uh, that uh, piece of info that you can you know, have access to and, and reach out. What a, what a crazy time. Well, we've seen an increase in abuse cases since the downturn in our economy. It's It's been an ongoing problem in this city, and I know the Calgary police have been working very hard to try and, you know, get things in check, and those numbers did start to go down, and then the pandemic hit, and we're starting to see increases increased cases, as Kim talked about. So if you are in a, in a situation where you are locked in home with your abuser, there are channels, there are ways. Reach out to a friend, do anything you can to try and get yourself out of that situation it can be incredibly difficult but there are ways and and just find somebody who can help you out and maybe there was you know a thought that the calgary women's shelter might not be open during a time of oh pandemic. no there Never. might have been some trepidation that, oh you know what there's no help for me no there is always help and as kim said i found that interesting how it was up again down again and it's it sounds like kind of a roller coaster uh, ride but they have to be prepared for it and again, as she mentioned, maybe even using some hotels to make sure that they have the capacity they require. So certainly uh, still uh, operating, unfortunately, but fortunately. Calgary Women's Shelter, uh, one, I've toured the facilities, uh, wonderful group of people. They do such incredible work and they are there to help you out. So uh, reach out if you at all can. Again, that phone number is 403-734-SAFE.
719 on the morning news. A new app called Anabot has been launched to help seniors stay connected and engaged. It was tested by the Kirby Center. We're joined now by software development engineer Peter Zhu. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Happy to have the Calgary Connection here to uh, be testing this uh, new uh, type of software. Tell us about Anabot. What does it do? Yeah, Anabot is a cross-generational community buddy system, if you will, that leverages voice-assisted technology to bridge a senior to a community hero. So what does that mean exactly, Peter? Well, you know, our story really started about a year and a half ago where our co-workers and I heard a radio interview just like the ones that we're having here today talking about some of the challenges our seniors are facing. Uh, we were curious to dig a little bit deeper. And upon our investigation in the field, we found loneliness and isolation was a huge thing that resurfaced. And there are a volume of publications that details long-term health impact of loneliness and isolation, such as increased risk for heart disease and even early death. And we thought this was an excellent starting point and also to identify how we could intervene sooner. And that's where we came out with Anna. And so what that really means is that we could now identify a community buddy system to figure out, you know, a senior's interest and pair them up with almost a hero, sort of like a gym buddy, and get them to socialize and embark mm. on adventures together that displaces what otherwise would have been negative thoughts and behaviors. These could be simple things like stepping outside, taking a deep breath on a nice Sunday morning, or organizing a walk together. This also, uh, apparently, you, you know, you can not only have that, uh, you know, social aspect, but it can also be used to help connect seniors, perhaps with the uh, uh, mental and, of course, uh, physical doctors that they might require. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, it's you know, it's a work in progress, but what we really hope to achieve in the longer run is that this is a digital platform that's not only able to bridge the digital divide here, but also to generate the insights for doctors to start identifying what are the early indicators that sets people on this downward trend that we could intervene sooner, and also to generate insights to fuel social prescriptions that's able to help people have a more stable and well-being mental state. So important, and I love the idea of teaming up a senior with a buddy. So how do people get involved if they would like to be part of this or find out more about this Anabot? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Uh, we wanted to reach our seniors to understand what are the conversations and the small things we could do with them together and to help them become their own community heroes. So people can actually find out more by visiting anabot.ca, that's spelled A-N-N-A, bot, B-O-T, dot C-A, or simply calling the Kirby Center or Caria Seniors to find out more. So at the Kirby Center, are there the Anabot devices right now, or has the test been completed? Uh, the test has been completed, but we're still issuing out uh, devices and uh, helping out seniors uh, wherever and whoever we can. Uh, I bet the seniors are loving this too. Thanks for joining us, Peter, with all the info. Awesome. Thank you for having me today. That's Peter Zhu helping seniors bridge that technology gap uh, with the Kirby Center.